Now today we look at the T for total depravity. This is naturally the first one to study of the, the five. They're like building blocks. They're like five steps. And of course, you can't get to step two, three, four until you start on number one. And truly, this is the foundational uh, doctrine. And many people have some difficulty with the other aspects because they don't give due attention to the first. If we are not totally lost, then we can partly save ourselves. If we are totally lost, totally depraved, without a thought of God, without any ability to turn to God, then we need a salvation that is from A to Z, Alpha to Omega. We need one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. And we come to our another and our last Luther lesson as we come to the end of this week. And throughout this month of November, we have been bringing some lessons from Martin Luther. I've been borrowing from the book, The Triumph of Truth, The Life of Martin Luther, Jean-Henri Merle Daubigny. And uh, this is available. Check it out on Amazon and it's available through Christian Biography, Bob Jones University Press. Today we turn to what many call Martin Luther's greatest work. Uh, it is hidden work, and yet that which helped the people of Germany more than anything else. The translation of the Bible into German, or as the heading of this chapter says, making God speak German. Luther had already translated fragments of the Holy Scripture. The seven penitential psalms had been his first task. John the Baptist, Christ himself, and the Reformation had begun alike by calling men to repentance. It is the principle of every regeneration in the individual man and in the whole human race. These essays had been eagerly received. Men longed to have more. And this voice of the people was considered by Luther as the voice of God himself. He resolved to reply to the call. He was a prisoner within those lofty walls. He could devote his leisure to translating the word of God into the language of his countrymen. Ere long, this word will be seen descending from the Wartburg with him, circulating among the people of Germany, and putting them in possession of those spiritual treasures hitherto shut up from the hearts of a few pious men. Would that this one book, exclaimed Luther, were in every language, in every hand, before the eyes and in the ears and hearts of all men. Scripture, without any comment, said he again, is the sun whence all teachers receive their light. Such are the principles of Christianity and of the Reformation. According to these venerable words, we should not consult the fathers to throw light upon Scripture, but Scripture to explain the fathers. The Reformers and the Apostles set up the Word of God as the only light, as they exalt the sacrifice of Christ as the only righteousness. 
by mingling any authority of man with this perfect righteousness of Christ, we vitiate both the foundations of Christianity. These are the two fundamental heresies of Rome, and these, although doubtless in a smaller degree, some teachers were desirous of introducing into the bosom of the Reformation. Luther opened the Greek originals of the evangelists and apostles and undertook the difficult task of making these divine teachers speak his mother tongue. Important crises in this history of the Reformation. From that time, the Reformation was no longer in the hands of the Reformer. The Bible came forward. Luther withdrew. God appeared and man disappeared. The Reformer placed the book in the hands of his contemporaries. Each one may now hear the voice of God for himself. As for Luther, henceforth he mingles with the crowd and takes his station in the ranks of those who come to draw from the common fountain of light and life. Yes, we thank God for the Word of God in our own language. And Germans got it from Martin Luther. We thank William Tyndale and many others. May the Lord be pleased to give every nation, every people, the Word of God in their own language. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak, and we're turning now to our hymn, Glory be to God. We're dealing with this acrostic called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, and each letter stands for a doctrine. And in that way, by the word TULIP, you can get a hold on the whole system of doctrines on this one word. Now, the time of this defense on the gospel goes back to the very same year in which our authorized version of the Bible was first printed and published, 1611. And while English men in England were crooning over their new king-ordained Bible, Dutch men in Holland were defending a very important aspect of the gospel. They were contending against what we know as the remonstrants, who had raised up objections to various doctrines of the gospel, one of them being that it is not altogether certain that a person who is saved today will be saved tomorrow and forever. And this was really throwing a curveball 
at what was well-established Reformed doctrine. Now, you may be asked, why study TULIP today, all these years later? Well, these five doctrines are called the doctrines of grace, and they are exceedingly helpful to understand the gospel itself. This is not just a history lesson. This is enabling ourselves to get the tools to understand, define, and also to witness the gospel unto men. And a knowledge of these five doctrines will help you in your understanding of the way God saves sinners and, of course, how you present it to others. It will also strengthen your assurance of faith. The P in the word tulip stands for perseverance of the saints. And we are convinced that the Bible teaches clearly that when the Lord sets his decree to save, to predestinate, to choose, to call, to justify, that he will also sanctify. He will not leave his sheep behind. Now, this tulip set of doctrines are thoroughly scriptural. They are biblical. They are taken from a systematic approach to the Bible. Uh, you've often heard the statement that if you have only one text for a doctrine, it's merely a pretext. You want to find the same truth in every part of the Bible, uh, Old Testament and New, and indeed in every book of the Bible. And so these five doctrines are very and thoroughly biblical and they stand the test of Bible study. Now, today we look at the T for total depravity. This is naturally the first one to study of the, the five. They're like building blocks. They're like five steps. And, of course, you can't get to step two, three, four until you start on number one. And truly, this is the foundational uh, doctrine. And many people have some difficulty with the other aspects because they don't give due attention to the first. If we are not totally lost, then we can partly save ourselves. If we are totally lost, totally depraved, without a thought of God, without any ability to turn to God, then we need a salvation that is from A to Z, Alpha to Omega. We need one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so this doctrine will help us to understand also with what is wrong in the world around us. We see a world where there is not just wars and continual mayhem, but there's corruption, corruption in the highest places, corruption in the places where it ought not to be. And when you read about the sinful depravity of political leaders, educators, doctors, dentists, uh, clergy, uh, you come in to see that this corruption of sin is so endemic, so thoroughly through uh, perverse in society that uh, man is totally depraved. And the Bible explains uh, the corruption and the sinfulness that is all around. Now, what we learn here in Isaiah chapter 1, that total depravity affects the whole man. 
When I speak of man, I mean men, women, boys, and girls. I want you to read with me here in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, and I want you to answer this question. Is this, does this require a band-aid, or does this require hospitalization? I want you to answer that as we read Isaiah 1, 4 to 6. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. I think you can see here that a band-aid is not going to be the answer to this one, because this man is so sick from head to toe. He has wounds and bruises that will not heal. They are not mollified nor bound up. Ointment doesn't seem to work. And all the remedies to try and cure the sinful, corrupt nature of man, they do not work. And of course, the philosophies of this world work at it all the time. Education, peer pressure, the prison system, to try and reform and turn people away from their wicked ways, laws of the land, the criminal code, which is yards long. You know, the, uh, the uh, potential for crime is just endless. And then, of course, there's psychology methods, uh, ways by which to turn people and make them better in nature. And very often what happens is people go into denial and they say, oh, I'm not corrupt. There's no problem with me. I'm a whole person. I'm not sick. Well, once in a while, I might get a little blister and I need a Band-Aid. And they would jump into the Band-Aid category. All we need for the, for the modern man today is a little bit of help, a little bit of assistance, a little crutch from religion, a little uh, bit from others, and he can get along in life and do absolutely fine. Well, the Bible tells us, and we see this played out everywhere, that no one is doing fine. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. No man is right with God by nature. Now, we learn of this because this picture we have here of the person who is infected by sin, that sin infected the first man. That, of course, is Adam. And in this doctrine of total depravity, Genesis 3 is very important. And we have to learn that that man who was created upright, uh, loving God, capable of serving God, that sin came into his life like a poison. And the effects of sin were immediate, and they affected the whole man. Adam, who once walked with God, began to hide from God. And there was the beginning of his estrangement. He became a fugitive in the garden, even before he was driven out. And because he would not turn to God, God drove him out, and he was put under the mark of the curse. And that first man was deeply infected by sin. 
Now, where this gets even worse is that all the sons of Adam, all the men in the pre-flood time, became totally corrupt by sin. Another key verse is Genesis 6, verse 8. And these are the times just before the flood came upon the world. And we read here that the state of man was so corrupt, so sick from head to toe, that there was only one answer, and that was judgment. And God destroyed men from the face of the earth for this reason. And it tells us here in uh, the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 6, verse 5 is the text. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I want you to notice something. It was a head problem, his thoughts, and it was a heart problem. And in Isaiah chapter 1, that's the thing that is pointed out in verse 5. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. And so it's not just a matter of an educational process to get the right academics, the right knowledge, and then man is fine. There is a heart problem. And his imagination was only corrupt continually, continually, so that there really was no cure for fallen man. And you will say, okay, well, God destroyed that uh, people pre-flood. Then Noah was in the ark. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There must have been some goodness in Noah. Uh, there must now be hope for a new world, a new population. Well, you know the story of Noah, that as soon as he is out of the ark, he became a, a, a vine dresser and ended up drunk and into debauchery, the corruption in Noah's own life. And then you come to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, and we see that God saying, I'll never again destroy the whole world by a flood. Why? And he says here that the Lord smelled the sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, from his youth. So this is not something that just happens in adult life when people sort of get abused and distorted and out of sync with society. This is something that happens the young, the youth corrupt in heart. And we know that the Bible also teaches that babies are corrupt from the womb. We have the uh, <coughs> prophet uh, sorry, David, who is a prophet in the Psalms, saying, the wicked are estranged from the womb. And a Psalm 55, 51, verse 5, David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that procreation is sinful, but the transmission of sin from parents to children is the case. It's a fact. And the sin nature is passed into that infant. Now, I know that as young parents, we look into the, the eyes of our children and we see innocency. And we say, ah, what a sweet, innocent little babe. Well, just wait a year or two. 
and those temper tantrums start to th- come, and the first lie. And you say, who taught my child to lie? How did this happen? How come this corruption, this deceit, is in the nature of my child? And we learn what the Bible teaches, that there is endemic corruption in the heart of man. And that's why we need the book of Proverbs to help us to raise our children. And Proverbs tells us, train up a child in the way he should go. Why? Because left to itself, he will not go. A child left to itself will always go the way of sin and the way of of problems and the way of evilness. Uh, Proverbs 22, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And 23, 24, the father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. So there's hope. There's hope. Proverbs is not all doom and gloom. And we pray for wise children, but the wisdom comes from the godly teaching, correction, instruction of what's right, what's wrong. And we're told in Proverbs 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And so this is the problem with the world. It's the problem with humanity. It's the problem in your home and in your own heart. We were children too. Just ask your mother the mischief that you got up to. Just ask your mother for a a description of your childhood and of the evil that had to be corrected and the curbs that had to be set in place to direct your path. Why? Because evil corruption is in the human heart. And that's the doctrine of total depravity. It affects head, heart, the first man, and every man. That's what total depravity means. Now, there's one thing it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are as bad as possible. It doesn't mean that we are incapable of any good. Did you ever hear of the generous thief? The thief that stole, and then, of course, he gave out the money very generously. Now, how generous was he? The goodness that some perceived in him, it was mixed with the evil motivation. So not only did he steal, but his pride of heart wanted the well done of men by his evil doing. Have you heard of Adolf Hitler, the the monster? And yet there is a case where a priest pleaded for the safety of a village, that it would not be exterminated. And he appealed directly to Adolf Hitler, and he granted the request. So all men are capable of good, but it's relative good. It's only a little bit of good in the big jigsaw puzzle of the evil that he walks in and lives in. And you can see that there are times when he can demonstrate relative good. But there's one thing that man is incapable of, and that is spiritual good. He's incapable of loving God, incapable of pleasing God. Let's go back to Isaiah again, chapter 1, verse 4, and just read this verse. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, 
children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. And, of course, with that evil of heart where they do not love God first, they love their sin first, all their worship now becomes false. Look at verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? See, these people, they, they were way back from God, revolting from God, rebelling against God, and yet they kept up their religion. They kept up their pretense of rituals and duties. And God said, I can't accept those because you do not worship me with your heart. You are a backsliding people. And the sin nature, this disease that is in the head and in the heart, make everything polluted to God. And so man is incapable of walking with God, worshiping God, and getting right with God, because he is a rebel at heart. And that's what total depravity means, totally incapable of turning to God by himself. Now, I want us to look at this estrangement from God. I want to take up that theme right at this point, the estrangement to God. Now, it's obvious in this passage that there is such a wide gulf between these people, and these people are Jerusalem, Israel, Judah. Uh, they are really the God's people. Uh, they are the, the people that we would give the best hope to of ever walking with God. But they are so in love with their sin in their own ways that they always, and I emphasize always, choose their sin first. And then they might consider God if they can fit him in. They will not turn to God with a full heart. They have a prodigal spirit. They do not want to stay in godliness. They want to leave the home. They want to get out into freedom, and they want to go their own way. Now, the word backsliding comes up again and again with the nation of Israel to the point where this is now like a nickname dubbed backsliding Israel. And if you know the history of Israel right through the course from the days of, certainly from Moses after coming out of Egypt, right through to the end of the Old Testament era, it is just a cycle of backsliding, correction, and prophets are sent, and they kill the prophets, and they go into bondage and captivity, and God, they rebel again and again and again and again till Israel gets the name backsliding Israel. That is their true nature. And of course, we see this in all of religion. We see this in what we would call the best of religions. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.lt 
tbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast, and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music